Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. If you have your Bibles today, if you would open up and look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Today is the last day of our series, Made New, a fresh start with Jesus. And today we're going to be wrapping up all the things that we've talked about. We, we've talked about these practices of Jesus that he taught to all of his disciples. How many disciples do I have here today? We're all disciples of Jesus, most of us. And if, if you're not, you're invited to be one. We'd love for you to be a disciple of Jesus. But we've been talking about all the important things. Week one, we talked about prayer. We talked about fasting, right? The biblical art and practice of fasting, the importance of that, of denying your flesh. Uh, every day I need to say, flesh, you're not in charge today. Jesus is in charge and it fights me, but the Lord's helping me. And then we talked about Bible reading, why we can trust the Bible, and then the community coming together. And today we're wrapping this up as we talk about being made new. And as I was thinking about it, I was thinking about that so many times during the month of January, so many of us, we take the opportunity, you know, new year, new us, and then we go through and we clean out. Is anybody engaged in kind of cleaning out your house and you're ready to get rid of stuff you haven't been using and maybe there's stuff that's broken? And, and for some of us, we enjoy that. You know, we enjoy going to Goodwill and dropping it off or we enjoy going to places and get rid of things. But there's always those few things that are tough to get rid of, isn't it? There's those things that we look at it. And even though I love donating, I, I love uh, one of the favorite things that I did over Christmas. I took a couple weeks off over Christmas break. Uh, I loved reorganizing my pantry. Anybody with me in that? You're like, you just being able to go to a place and go, I know where that is. I can go grab it. I enjoy doing that. And some things are enjoyable for me. And, but if I see potential in something, it's really hard for me to let go of something. There are things that may be broken, but, you know, I've got the, I can fix that disease, whether I can fix it or not. And I know many of you do, too. I've seen your handiwork. But as we walk this out, you know, I, I think it was one of, the, one of the reasons why the house that we are in, when, when we moved back to Seattle in 2014, we bought a broken-down house where literally most of the windows were cracked. One of the windows in it was a diaper box. Uh, there was, I think, 15 tons of moss on the roof. The roofer told me after he, we, we fixed that. Well, actually, we had somebody else fix that. He said, you shouldn't touch that. That's not for you, Dwayne. Um, and we went through it, and I love the house. And I remember Pastor Bob, my predecessor, mentor. I remember him standing in the driveway looking at the house and saying, Dwayne, you don't need to buy this house. You, I think you can find something better than this. But I looked at it, and I said, I'm excited about this. I see potential in this. I see that it's going to be a lot of work, but it's there because I enjoy seeing things that can be... that that can be repurposed, that can be brought back to life. One of these things, I had this old piano that my wife bought for me years ago. She got a great deal on it, but it gotten to the point where it couldn't be tuned anymore. You know, lots of technical things in it, and I even took a course in college about how to repair and how to tune these things. But this piano, it was beyond repair. It was no longer playable. I tried to sell it. I, I tried to give it away. I couldn't, couldn't get rid of it. And then I was like, it's such a beautiful piece of furniture. I just can't bear just to let go of it. Is there a way that I can repurpose it? So when pandemic hit, we, we uh, took this old piano that couldn't play anymore, and we repurposed it, and here's what we did with that. I think we've got a, a picture here that we can kind of throw up. I took this old piano, and I made it into a bookcase. Anybody know who that is laying on the floor? Robert, yes, Robert. Yeah, he uh, just couldn't let go of an artistic moment. But for me, as, you know, as I looked at this, me and our family, we, 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 we took this piano. We, 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 it was a lot of work getting stuff out. But to me, it was such a beautiful piece that I wasn't ready to let go of it. 
I'm like, we can make something new out of this. We can take this, and instead of just chopping it up or throwing it in the dumpster heap, what can we do? And it's actually this old piano that I couldn't sell, I couldn't get rid of, I couldn't give it away. It's actually one of the favorite things in my home now, apart from my wife and children, of course. And it, but it reminded me of how God treats us. You know, so oftentimes we, have, we, we can look around and we see things have no value, they have no use, but the Lord takes all things and he makes them new, doesn't he? He takes things that seem like they're broken, things that have been left for junk, and he makes us new. And as we conclude our series today, I want to kind of just take some few moments just to mind into this. And this is our text. It's laid out very clearly by the Apostle Paul. I almost said Pastor Paul. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17. Can you read this with me? Let's read together. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is, how many of you are like, amen? The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And so as we dive into this today, we're going to dive into what it means to be made new. And as we look at this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I was going to read the whole, the whole chapter today, but I know we have some hungry folks here today, so we're just going to jump right into it. But as we conclude this up, we're going to do what, what the Apostle Paul did and at the beginning of this. He sets up what it means to be made new by looking at first our destination. Paul begins by looking at our destination, and the destination, the will of God is that all of us would end up with him forever in heaven. In heaven. Heaven is a literal place. He sets it up saying that we were made to be with heaven and that God is getting us ready, all of us, to spend eternity with him. Second Corinthians 5, this first verse going in, Paul writes, he says, for we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. Our destination is heaven. We were made and created by God, for God, to be with him forever. How many Sandlot fans we got out there, right? Forever. See, every human being is created in the image of God, by God, and for him. Colossians 1 is very clear on this. But I think sometimes we kind of breeze this by, and we can fall in the trap of, yeah, of course we're going to be with God. And that's just another fact that we have. But being with God... The creator of the heavens, when we think about how great he is, when we, when we really experience and we recognize that the fact that we get to be with God is no small matter. I think a lot of times we minimize things, right? But when we look at how the people who were with God, they had a very different aspect and a very different outlook than we do today. I mean, we're in a culture today that really seeks to serve us in every way, right? I mean, well, a lot of us, you know, we have access to so many things that we're almost like, like small kings and queens walking around that we've got the power of Amazon Prime in our pocket, baby, that I can get something in two days or less or forget about it. I mean, how quickly, I remember back, you know, back, back in the day when I was trying to order something for Christmas, I had to go to the Sears catalog, and it would take a month. I sent a Christmas card to my family back in Newfoundland. They just now got it. <laughs> Not in Seattle, two days or less. I, I've ordered things and not paid anything extra, and I've gotten it that same day. And at first, it's like, wow. But now we're like, of course, we can do this. And the challenge with this is that this commercial orientation of life around us, each of us individually, has unfortunately affected what we think about God, and here's why. Because the more that we think about ourselves, the less that we think about God. Isn't that true? 
The more that I think about myself, the less I feel about God. That's why C.S. Lewis famously wrote that humility is, is not the absence of thinking about ourselves. It's thinking about ourselves less. This is our orientation. And also, as the, as the importance of my life increases in my life, the significance of God decreases in my life, right? There's not two kings. It's either it's me or it's God. It's one or the other. And this is dangerous because, as A.W. Tozer said, and I, just, I find myself going back to this quote all the time, but here's what A.W. Tozer said. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our mind when we think about God, whatever we think about God, that's the most important thing about us. Because here's something to keep in mind. The less we think about God, the further we move from reality of the world that we are living in. Because true reality is only found in God. If we want to face reality, we need to recognize that true reality is only found with God. And here's the reality of what it means to be with God, that when we look at people who have really experienced his power, they've, really, they've been in his presence, whether it's in scripture or just friends and family and those mentors around me, we know that people who have experienced the presence of God and the power of God, they're often immediately brought to their knees in awe and wonder. And as the prophets wrote, it's like, you know, you know put a coal to my lips, you know, pierce me, I'm... I'm a sinful man. I need to be made right in your presence. When we experience that holiness of God, that rightness of God, it is no small matter. He loves us and wants to be with us, but God does not lessen who he is. He comes in to make us new. That's what God does. So many things in his life are out to press us down or to move beyond us. God doesn't diminish who he is. He comes in and he makes us new and he restores us because he loves us. And because he does, and because he is God, he's the all-wise, powerful God, he's so powerful and holy that being with God, it requires that we are made right with him. It requires that. Jesus said that in his Sermon on the Mount, in the very beginning, he, he said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. There's this process that the Lord brings us through. Pure in heart means those who are completely devoted and surrendered to God. Those who have been made right with God through Jesus, and now they live their lives for him. What this means is that after this life is over, that one day we will stand before God, the only righteous judge, and based on the decision that we've made in this life and the way that we've lived it out, we will determine where eternity will be spent, either with God or without God. Now, God wants all of us to be with him, but he's given us a choice. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul, he's outlining this to the Corinthians, not to scare them, but to remind them. And he says, sooner or later, and this is from Eugene Peterson's uh, message, 2 Corinthians 5, 9 through 10. It says, sooner or later, we'll all have to face God, regardless of our conditions. We will appear before Christ and take what's coming to us as a result of our actions, either good or bad. See, one day we will stand before him in judgment. And judgment is not based on having the right answers. We can Google all the right answers. Now, not everything you Google is right. But we can find the right answers. We're in this information age. But Paul identifies it's not about having the right answer. It's our actions, how we live our life. It reflects what we focus on, right? It's what, it's what we do, just not what we say, just not what we think. It's our actions. It's that, it's that works that we put to our faith, See, our actions, they lay it out. 
And as it relates to this judgment, judgment is exciting for those who have prepared, but it's terrifying for those who have not prepared. Now today, don't misunderstand me. I'm not doing a works gospel. When you surrender your life to Jesus, and as I've done, just bowing my heart by my knee and say, Jesus, I surrender to you. In that minute, we are justified before him. We are made right with Jesus. But now there's, but there's also this process called, it's a, it's a sanctification process where the Lord comes in and he, he moves in our life. And Jesus talks so many times, it's by your fruit they will know who you are, Right? It's like me. I can say, I love you, I love you, I love you. But if I keep doing actions that are not loving, be like, what? You say you love me, but you're not there. Because see, from the abundance of our heart, the mouth speaks. It's a heart change. It's a life change. It's not that we live perfect. We all make mistakes. Confession's a regular part. But Jesus, over and over again, he's like, if that renewed heart, there's going to be fruit to it. There's going to be, you, and you can tell. But as it relates to this judgment, again, it's exciting for those who have prepared, but it's often terrifying for those who have not or have tried to ignore it. And, you know, as I was thinking about judgment, my mind went back to university when I was just a mullet-headed kid from northeastern Canada, found my way in Springfield, Missouri, Evangel University. And we had these things back then where every music major university, at the end of every semester during finals week, they would have piano jury. Have any of you ever heard of piano jury before going through? Some of you go, oh, I've heard of that. And what this was, this was a piano proficiency where everybody, if they were, stu- they were studying music going through, they had to go before a jury, which was a uh, panel of piano professors. These were the elite, right? They were there. And you had to play your scales and your arpeggios before them. And you also had to play a piece that you had never seen before. You're sight reading a piece for them. And whether or not you passed was based on this. And the thing about it is there was no way to cram for it, right? They didn't ask you, do you know what a scale is, Dwayne? Do you know what a, well, you know, you know what arpeggios are? Arpeggios are like the chords kind of broken out, right? These are the boring things that people play that you're like, we, how long are you going to play scales for? As we talked about sight reading, all those things, these are things that you could not cram for. And it was something that was deliberate there because if you practice intently, even just 15 minutes a day throughout the entire semester, you would be ready. But this was not something you could cram for, not something you could fake. So what that meant is that when you got before them, they knew if you were practicing, because the key word in all of this was play. Was play. There's no way to fake it. And I remember as each student, they would have their schedule, I'd walk in, into the lobby, and you could tell it was prepared. Those who were prepared, they were laughing, they were joking, they were talking about what they're going to do after the finals. Some would even, uh, even, even study for other things, but they were just like, yeah, no big deal, I'm prepared for it. Everything's good. But then there were those who were scared. And they would come up to those of us who were prepared and going, now, what's the C scale? What's the C minor scale? What's the, what's the harmonic minor scale? What's all these? And they would ask all these things, and they were just running back and forth to, to the rehearsal room. And it became evident that the preparation was not there. Now, scales, these are not performance pieces. No one goes to Ben Arroyo. No one goes to Jazz Alley. No one goes to Paramount Theater and goes, I hope to hear some good scales tonight. I hope all they do is play scales. These are the things, when you hear them, they sound very boring, but here's the secret. Every great artist I've ever known, and I've, I've been blessed to know several people, there were several in college that went on to do great things. Do you know what I heard them practice a lot? Scales, arpeggios. Because when you get that bread and butter, when you get these things in your hands, you can literally play anything. 
I remember growing up that my, my piano teacher would always say, Dwayne, do your scales, do your scales. And I was like, no one's impressed by that. Why would I even play that? And when I got to college and it showed up in my life, I learned very quickly that as you did these things, it allowed you to not only do the pieces that were your performance pieces as a piano major, but it gave you the flexibility to start branching off into gospel and jazz that I love. Every jazz artist, every jazz piano artist will tell you, you need to know your scales and your modes. And these, again, these are the boring things because when you know them, it gives you the freedom. Now, what's my point in all this? <laughs> Is my goal today to make you piano majors, to make you great jazz musicians? Yes, but beyond that, what we're talking about today is we're talking about, in the last four weeks, we've been talking about these spiritual disciplines, these things like prayer and fasting. These are key things that Jesus even said, don't be proclaiming this to everybody, right? Don't be, if you're fasting, you know, don't go out and just go, oh man, I'm really suffering for Jesus. These are the unseen things, these disciplines in our life that we pour in because we love Jesus, not because we're scared, but because we want to know Jesus more, and they bear fruit in our lives. They are a part of renewing us and regenerating us that we need. These are all part of God's process for us to become what he's called us to be. And he's called us to be made new. Every one of us working in our lives. Not fear-based. This whole aspect of judgment I've seen when I was growing up, it was used as a fear tactic. If you were to die tonight, do you know where you would go, right? I ran to the altar every week. (laughs) I was scared spitless. I was afraid to go to church at times. You ever been there? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being so in love with the Lord that these practices are here just like I want to be the best piano player that I could be. And so to do that, I had to pull these things into my life because I want to move forward. I want to have freedom. This is what we're talking about. Because we love Jesus, because we want to be empowered just like everything else, we lean into him and we develop this relationship that Jesus is calling to and he makes us new through all of these things. That's why Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and the new has begun. Now get walking in these new ways. Experience the power, experience the life that comes through Jesus Christ. Because getting to our destination, to heaven, it requires that we are made new. And you would think that there's this whole idea of being made new, it would be exciting to us. And this is often true, right? There's things in my life that I want to be made new. There's things that that I don't like, that I want to just get rid of, right? How many of you have stuff in your life, you're like, Jesus, take it all. <laughs> make, make this new. All these hurts, habits, and hangups and things. Take them, Lord. But the challenge is there's parts of our life that we don't want to be made new because we kind of like it. Anybody in this room ever have a child that had a hard time letting go of their childhood blankie? That old, ratty, stinky thing that they, were, they would suck on, they would chew on, and it was just it was to the point where you, you were afraid to put it in the washer anymore because you knew there's not going to be anything left. If this thing falls apart, they're not going to go to sleep tonight. Right? Even though you have a nice, new, shiny one, all of my kids had this in their life. I had this in my life. We become so used to being soothed by it. We become so used to being next to it. It's, it's like it's a part of us. And even though it's ratty and it's falling apart, and it's a health hazard, We don't want to let go of it, even though there's something better. See, this is about being made new, being made new, that we give everything to the Lord. But in order to be made new, it requires being changed. It requires being changed. Don't worry about these these people moving. They're they're not mad at me. (laughs) They're just helping with some things, so. They're wonderful friends. Being new requires being what? Changed. 
I think sometimes we go to the Lord and you go, Lord, I'm, I'm a pretty good guy. Do you really need to change me? See, change is painful. I mean, ask anyone who's ever run a race or they've studied for an exam or they've tried to lose weight. How many are trying to lose weight right now? And you're going, oh, dear Jesus, <laughs> take this burden from me. Right? See, oh, yeah, I'm with you. All of these require that I change. I need to change my eating habits. I need to change my schedule, how I spend my time. I need to change what I read. I need to change how I work out or I need to add a working out in some way, in healthy ways. See, health, whether it's physical, mental, or spiritual, all these things have a price, and I need to be committed, disciplined, and obedient to what God has called me to. But because of sin, that re- which is the rejection of God, health doesn't just naturally happen anymore, right? There was a time when the ground wasn't cursed. There was a time when it was just, it was so much more enjoyable. But because we rejected God, and we're without God, we're now in this broken world with broken people who walk around breaking each other. I think we've all done things that we're like, man, why did I do that? Even the Apostle Paul is like, the things, things that I want to do, I don't do. And, and it's this whole confusion for us. Like, why do, have you ever done something? You're like, why did I do that? This is your confession time. I think we all have. We need to recognize that true and complete health is only found by following a true and complete God. And that's why God, through the power of his son, he's saying... I'm going to make you new. So Jesus, he cons- consistently taught on this, right? If you want to gain your life, what do you need to do? You need to lose it, <laughs> right? We gain our life by losing it, and it's in giving that we receive. See, these are great truths of God, but they're often difficult paradoxes to us. They go against the sin in our lives. They go against the way of the world that we live, and they go against everything else because everything's about pleasing ourselves, my rights. We've heard a lot about that. And it's good, it's important to protect people and do that, but if we're just known as followers of Christ that we're out just to protect our rights, we've lost it, we've confused people. Now, I'm all for rights and equal rights and all those things, but at the end of the day, as a follower of Christ, I lay down my rights. There are people that I've walked with that, I've, that you lay down so much, you lay down your rights so that the gospel will flourish See, Jesus even identified that there would be some who would think that they didn't have to change, that they didn't have to be made new and one day would stand before him. I think this is one of the most scariest scriptures in the Bible. Scary stories with Pastor Duane. Here we go. Matthew 7, chapter, verse 22. Jesus said, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we cast out demons in your name? Did we do mighty works in your name? But listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Wow. When Jesus says the word lawlessness, he's talking about those who they've made their own laws, they've lived their own way. These are those that they want, to, they want the benefits of Jesus because there's a lot of benefits, but they want it without the cost, which is surrender, being made new, being this disciple. And it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. I've... I have close people in my life that I talk to them about Jesus and they'll often say to me, I worship Jesus in my own way. And my heart grieves in that moment because we follow Jesus, Jesus' way. We follow Jesus his way. He is the truth. He is the life. It's only as I follow him in that way that I'm leading others towards him. 
And he gives me beauty for my ashes. My life with Jesus is so much richer, so much better, but it requires full surrender because I'm not God, he is. And so when I have friends, family members that say to me, you know, I'm okay because I know that God could never send anyone to hell. If God made, and someone will often say, if God made me this way, then how could it be sinful? This is just how God made me. And I've had other friends say, well, if that's who God is, I don't want him. He can't be real. He wouldn't ask this. Now, how do we answer this? Are we made in the image of God? Yes. But are we perfect? Is, are we perfect? No. Okay, good. <laughs> if not, I was going to start over and just go back to the beginning. Are we perfect? No, we're not. We're not perfect. We are not perfect. Because of sin, we're all affected. See, being made in the image of God doesn't mean that I am God. So when I say, you want to see someone who's in the image of God, look to your neighbor, and you can do that now. If you want to see what God looks like, look at your neighbors, all of us. Every one of us. Every nation, every tribe, every color, every tongue. All made in the image of God. But you're not God. I am not God. And someone say, well, well, duh, you know. But yet sometimes we can fall into that trap. See, everything I think is not right. Everything I feel, feelings. You ever had a, a thought that you're like, that's not right? You ever had a feeling you're like, that's not right? And some of these have been very deep-seated things. But we need to recognize as it relates to all these things. We're made in the image of God, but the only way that I can fulfill the purpose that I was made for is by giving control over to God. He's the only one. See, a piano can be perfectly made, but played very wrong. I'm not going to point fingers. See, a perfect piece of wood looks very different in the hands of someone who's surrendered, and they become a craftsman. There are perfect cars all over I-5 that are being driven very poorly. And some of them may be in this room today. <laughs> right? There's nothing wrong with the car. The problem is who's driving your car? Your life with the, you say your wife? <laughs> exactly. Distraction, you know? Distraction. We're co-preaching here today. Thanks, Steve. There's only one driver, only God. And you've heard those analogies, but how often do you want to take the wheel and God, I don't like this, where this is going. This, this road's too bumpy. God, I think we're out of gas right now. I'm hungry. Can we stop for snacks right now? And when God doesn't do what we want, when everything seems logical to do something else, that's when we're like, we want to take the control. The problem's not with your car. You're made in the image of God. It comes down to who's driving. And that's why God gives us this opportunity. The opportunity is to surrender our lives to com completely to God, to be made new by him. This is where we find that life to the full. This is where we find what the Bible talks about, this joy, our cup is running over, filled with the joy of the Lord. This is where we experience the joy and the power flowing through our lives, healing and restoring us, but it's only as we fully surrender to God. And we know this, but it's difficult, isn't it? But we need to be made new. And there's this renewing, this constant renewing that we see in as Jesus walked with his disciples and we see in our lives. 
You know, I've been on this, this, this path of getting back to health and getting my COVID-19 pounds that went to 29 pounds off. And my, my weight loss is like this, and then I bounce up, and then I do this, and, I'm, oh, and then I'm, it's like a roller coaster ride, right? It's, it's like a scary roller coaster ride. Like I'm, I feel like I'm doing all the right things. And oftentimes in our walk with Christ, have you experienced that, right? You'll hit a hard spot and you'll come up. There's this constant renewing of being made new. That's why we have the body of Christ to encourage each other. Does it mean we're not Christians? No. Does it mean he doesn't love us? No. It just means that we need to be encouraged in this process of being made new where there's a fight. It's not against flesh and blood. It's spiritual. The Bible talks about it's spiritual. It's principalities. There's a spiritual battle in our life. That's why all these things we've been talking about are so important to pour in. That we're constantly, we're, we're, we're praying without ceasing as the Bible talks about. The word of the Lord is in us, coming alive so we can tell what light from dark. That we have these times of fasting in our life so the flesh is not in charge. And that we gather together regularly. Regularly. When I was a kid growing up, regularly meant four to five times a week. <laughs> we're just saying, get in a group and come, come to church once a week. <laughs> I'll give you coffee. We need this. We need this because Paul doesn't just leave it here. Paul doesn't leave it there. He's saying, you're being made new. You're being regenerated. You're being forgiven. You're being empowered. You have this great opportunity, and the whole opportunity he's talking about is our purpose. We have a purpose for our life. You want to find that joy? You start laying hold of the purpose that the Lord has given to you, to all of us as disciples of Christ. And it's right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 11, when Paul says this. He says, we work urgently with everyone we meet. To get them ready to face God. Look at that. He didn't mix words. We work urgently. He didn't say I work urgently. He said we. Who's we? We. All of you. Everybody. Every follower of Christ. We work urgently with everyone we meet. People you like, people you don't like. People you know, people you don't know. We work urgently. Because here's the thing, it's not fear-based, but it's based on knowing what we know, our heavenly destination, and how we get there by being made new, we now have this purpose and this responsibility that we've surrendered our lives, we're aligning with God, and I shared this several weeks, do you know what brings a smile to the face of your Lord and Savior more than anything else? It's when that one person who's lost who's brought back. When you leave the 99 and you go out, and you find that one that doesn't know Jesus, and you're praying, and you're saying, Lord, speak to me. Help me to reflect the love of Christ to them. And they give their life to Christ. They're reconciled with Christ. And then you bring them back to the community so that they can grow, that they can flourish, that the enemy is not putting weeds in their life. And when it does, you're there to help them and say, I can see you're hurting right now. Here's the way of Jesus. This is our purpose. And when we know what we know, it would be cruel not to do that, wouldn't it? Just to see somebody in the past by, to know they're hurting. To know they need the love of Christ. That in their darkest time, whether they agree with you or not, whether they're having conversations with you, I have these conversations regularly. What I shared about earlier where someone's saying, well, if I feel this way, how can that be wrong? Being willing to walk with somebody without forcing somebody, but just to lovingly be there. Go, you know what? We disagree, but I love you. I'm walking with you. You're welcome here. If you disagree with me today, you're welcome here. You're probably not the only one. You're welcome here. 
Because when he uses that word urgently, he's not saying force, coercion. That's when the love of Christ has left the room. Jesus didn't do that. But we hold true. We've been praying. We've been filled with the word of God. We know what's right and wrong. We've been fasting. We're coming together for community. So now we can walk and say, my prayer is that you would know the love of Jesus Christ, that you would be made new in him. You would be made new in him. That's why, Jesus, that's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians, he said, God put the world square with himself through the Messiah, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. God has given us the task of telling everyone what he's doing. We're Christ's representatives. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences. Amen? And we're like, yes, underline that. Drop our differences and enter into God's work of making things right between them. We're speaking for Christ himself now. Become friends with God. He's already a friend with you. How, you ask? In Christ. God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong so we could be right with God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. See, one of the evidences of being filled with the love of God is being filled with the purpose of God. To reconcile everyone back to God. I think somewhere along the way, we've either lost that or we've given up on that or we've lost hope. Do you know there are missionaries that have spent their whole life in nations pouring out the love of God? And they may have one convert. There's a story told from years ago of missionaries that went to this area that nobody wanted to go to. And when they went there, Travel was not as free as it is today. So they went on a ship and they packed their casket. Missionaries, long ago, they would often pack their casket. So they, they would get the casket and they would put all of their belongings in it and then they would go because in that they're like, I'm probably going to die where I'm going. There was one missionary couple, they spent their whole life loving, serving this, this community so far from God. And they died with zero people professing a love for Christ. Now see, we may look at that and go, there was no return there. What did you do wrong? (laughs) They faithfully prayed, faithfully sought the Lord. When it came time to to bury them, they were in in a nation that was totally against Christianity. But because they served, they gave them some land, and the community buried them. And now this land was owned by the dead missionaries. Do you know what happened years later? Another missionary showed up, and the ground was now tilled. And a revival began to break out in that country. People started giving their lives to Christ. And when it came for a spot for them to build a place where they could gather together, guess where they built? They built up the land that was given to those missionaries. And the gospel flourished. Can you imagine if those missionaries gave up? So you know what? We gave our whole life. Nothing happened. Nothing exciting. Nothing fun. I get newsletters from everybody. They're all saving Jesus. They're having baptisms. What about me, God? 
Are we willing to trust the Lord enough where we say, Lord, take my life, spend it how you want? <laughs> if it's me having fun going, there's people getting saved, we're doing baptisms. Or if it's me saying, Lord, I will trust you. I will trust you. I will urgently work with everyone that I meet to get them ready. See, some of us, we found ourselves in places where we've given up hope. We've given up help at work. We've given up hope with our family because we try and we try and we try. And we give in to one of the key tactics of Satan. Do you know what Satan's most successful weapon is against us? It's fear. <laughs> if he can make you scared, he can often, de- uh, 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 often defeat you. So, you know, so the second Steve. We, will, we often fail to work urgently for fear because we fear being embarrassed. You, 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 you ever like not shared something? She's like, I don't want to be embarrassed. I've done it too much. We're scared to share Christ because we don't want to be rejected. I don't want to be rejected. I love people. I'm trying to get more friends. Do you want to be my Facebook friend? Just ask. I'll let you in. We're scared of being judged. See, rejection, we're afraid it's going to affect our job. We, we don't want to be perceived wrong. We don't want to lose friends. And after the pandemic, friends can be hard to come by. Like, God, I, I can't lose one more friend. We fear the thoughts of others instead of working hard to please God. And I think it's often ironic how we often fear those who have no regard for us versus the one who is for us, who laid down his life for us. And I get it. I've been there. So how do we overcome this fear? How do we have insight from the Lord to be committed. It's being made new. Because your old life is going to be scared. Your old life is going to say, I'm going to give up. Your old life is saying, there's no hope. There's no hope, I'll be one. But through Jesus, this new way. See, there's, we cannot fulfill the purpose of God without being filled with the power of God. Living out God's commission, which he's commissioned all of us to make disciples, cannot be fulfilled without first living out God's commandment. What's God's commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. Not part of it, all of it. Everything. Anything worth doing is worth doing well, and it requires laying it all down. Not just making new all the junk that you use in your life. Like, yeah, I'm ready to get rid of the junk, but I've got some precious things over here. Say, no, God, it's all yours. I'm not going to worry about being embarrassed. I'm not going to worry about any of these things anymore. But it's only found in being made new. I mean, how exciting. Have you ever led someone to Christ and you go, there's nothing like this to see that come alive in their face? Have you seen that in somebody? Are you hungry for it today? Are you hungry to see people walk in the stores and say, I found Jesus today. He's the greatest thing ever. I've experienced that love of Christ. To see someone filled with the power of the Holy Spirit in their life and to recognize that connection that they have with God, to know that this life is not all that there is. But it's only as we are made new because Jesus said, you're my disciples. You're called to reflect who I am. God's plan to reach the world is you. But he said to do that, you need to be made new, Amen. Amen. Can we all stand together today? And I encourage you just to allow the Holy Spirit to move in your life now. And and if you're a follower of Christ, just say, Jesus, reveal to me anything that I've not surrendered to you. Jesus, reveal to me anything I've not surrendered to you. I give you my junk, but Lord, are there jewels in my life that I've yet to surrender? Do your work in me, Lord. Do your work in me, Lord. Holy Spirit. We've come to this time. 
And Lord, I know that you're preparing us, you're leading us, you're getting us ready. But Lord, you always, you sharpen the tool. You, you, you come in and you fix us and you restore us and you renew us. And none of it is fear-based, it's all love-based because you want us to be restored to the purpose you have for us. So Lord, help us in these, these moments here. And as the band even begins to play now, I want you to ask yourself, how do you feel about standing before God one day? How do you feel about that one day when you stand before the Lord? What would make you look forward to seeing him? Because for me, sometimes I'm kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of caught. I look forward to seeing the Lord. I've given my life to Christ. Your, your pastor is a fully devoted Christian, okay? But sometimes I stand, I'm like, God, I want my family to know you. Show me how to reach them and love them. I just, my heart aches because I'm like, if they knew what I knew, if they experienced what I experienced. And I know that's the work of the Lord, but that's, I want them to experience the love of Christ. And I know nothing would bring you more joy than that. So my answer to this week is, you know, Lord, help me not to be embarrassed. Help me not to give up. I don't want to use fear I want to walk in faith and I want to share the love of Christ. Show me, Lord. Give me courage as I talk to people in this neighborhood, in this, in this city, friends and family. And ask yourself, have I been made new? Are there areas in my life that I'm holding on to because the pain's too difficult? And then that last one, who around you needs to be made ready to see God? Who are you praying for? But there's this next piece. What next steps do you need to take? The Lord may speak to you and say, it's time to surrender all this. It's time to walk in that way. As we surrender today, you know, there was something that we did pre-pandemic. We, we had communion stations and prayer stations and people ready to pray for you. It's so important that we do this. And if you don't feel comfortable doing that, totally fine. We've changed communion. Communion is just the self-sealed. As the worship team leads us, if you want to come forward and just take one of these, you can take one of these and bring it back. This communion, the bread and the cup. If you want someone to pray with you, we have wonderful prayer teams. If Deck and Mary Ann Barnes over here, we have Pastor Tiffany and Daniel. They're even wearing a mask. They would love to pray with you. Or maybe you want to turn to the person next to you and say, can we just pray together about this? We also have prayer walls. Maybe you want to go to the prayer wall. Whatever it is, let me encourage you. Let's take some time to respond, amen? Lord, speak. We're all your servants, and we're listening. We're listening. And Lord, I pray for that one today if that's here. If you're here today and you're going, you know what, Dwayne, I've, I've not given my life to Christ, but I'd like to do it now. It's just... Jesus made it easy. It's a big step. It's surrender. They said, just confess your sin and believe that he is the Savior and receive him. If you'd like to do that, just pray this simple prayer. Maybe we can all pray this together. Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of ignoring and rejecting you. Fill my life with your spirit. I surrender my life to you. And I commit to following you all the days of my life. 
In Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that you would move in our lives this week. Lord, as we think about this being made new, God, that we would not let the enemy put us down anymore, but God, that we would walk through our communities, online, wherever we find ourselves, recognizing that we are children of the Most High God, that we are empowered by you, we are living this life by you, we are filled with your Holy Spirit. Let that new life arise in us. Lord, I'm praying that, Lord, here at Shoreline Community Church, Lord, that we would experience this revival of life coming back to you. We experience this revival of our lives being changed and renewed, Lord, that, Lord, any, anything that would hold us back would be lifted. Let there be a lifting, oh God. Let there be a lifting from our eyes to see as you see. Experience your power, Lord, that we recognize in our weakness, we're made strong as we look to you. Lord, I'm praying for our students as they gather tonight, God, that they would experience your power. Lord, I pray for our kids, Lord, as, as they're wrapping up downstairs, Lord, that they would experience the love of Christ. Lord, show us, Lord, whether we're at work, wherever we go. Speak through us. Give us boldness, Lord, that is front-loaded with grace. You came in truth, but, Lord, it's front-loaded with grace. You walk with us, and you lead us. Show us, oh, Lord, I pray. In your name, Jesus. In your name, Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. Amen. I pray that you are walking in the newness of Christ. Don't let anything hold you back. So I'm telling you, once you experience it, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. Be men and women of prayer. Seek the Lord. Let the word be hidden in your heart. Fast to kill the flesh in you. <laughs> so you can walk forward in him. Amen. So good to see you today. So good to see so many. I hope you're encouraged by this today. I'm excited as we walk, as we walk forward. Next week, we're going to be starting a new series called All In. It's a study. It's a nine to ten week study that we're going to be looking through Ezra and Nehemiah as they were rebuilding the walls, as they were walking in the fullness of, of what God has for them. So hope you can join us for that. This is our benediction, our benedictions as we uh, walk and live for Jesus. Say this together. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace.